entire American soccer world. This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivan Skolarsep. And I know it's been a long time, but I am back. We are back. The show is back. And uh, one of the New Year's resolutions, and we all we all have our New Year's, New Year's resolutions, uh, is to get this show back up and running and becoming a regular part of your routine. I know there are a lot of shows out there, a lot of soccer podcasts, uh, but I'm hoping we can bring back S- the SBI show to being part of your rotation and being one of your preferred shows in your rotation. And we're going to kick things off with our first show of the new year. And there's plenty to talk about. I mean, it's been six months, I think, since since the last time we did a uh, did a show. Uh, for those of you who missed it, uh, I did a year-end wrap-up podcast with uh, with my boys, uh, Paul Tenorio and Doug McIntyre. And uh, in case you missed that, you can actually uh, hear that on the SBI show feed. Uh, so if you're listening to this, there's a chance you listen to that. And uh, make sure you give that a listen. Yeah, it was a good chance for us to catch up and talk about everything that happened uh, in 2018 and also to look ahead to 2019. Uh, and obviously, you know, for those of you who hadn't who've been missing the SBI show. I think that was a little bit of a primer, but hopefully now with this, starting with this episode, uh, we'll be able to get back into it and talking about all the things that that need to be discussed. And of course, uh, the first thing we have to talk about is with the biggest news story already of the new year, uh, kicking 2019 off with a with a blockbuster. Christian Pulisic is headed to Chelsea in a record-setting $73 million transfer um, he'll be staying with Borussia Dortmund for the remainder of the current season, and he'll join Chelsea in the summer. Uh, and and it it put an early end to what was looking like was shaping up to be uh, a, a pretty big kind of bidding war. At least that that was the sense you got, uh, based on all the reports about all the interest in Pulisic. And obviously, uh, once he decided he wasn't going to resign with Dortmund, the clock was ticking on his departure from there. And the question was, was always, you know, kind of who, wh- where would he go? And Liverpool had, had obviously been mentioned for a long time because of the Klopp connection. Uh, you heard about Manchester United, Tottenham, Bayern Munich. Uh, a lot of teams had been, had been mentioned, but he's headed to Chelsea. And, and I know that there's already some, uh, some hand-wringing and some concern on both sides of the pond about the move. Uh, obviously, uh, there are American fans who are worried that you know he's going to go there. He's going to get stuck on the bench. Uh, there's and then there's worry uh, from from Chelsea fans who think you know this is a this is a marketing signing. This is a, this is a wasted money on a player who's not going to play. Um, so it, it's interesting just to kind of see the varied views on it. Um, me personally, uh, I, I, I see the value in the move and I, and I get why I think it actually makes sense as as a move. You know, if you're Christian Pulisic and and you're re- you're ready to make that jump, and the Premier League is where you've always wanted to go, um, when you look at the the possibilities and the places he could have gone, for me, Chelsea is is really the best fit. When you think about style of play, when you think about their current manager and what they what they need going forward, I mean, they're a team that that clearly uh, has some older options as far as their right wingers go, uh, wingers in general. Uh, and you know, he, Christian Pulisic can slide right in there. He can fit in well into the system that Maurizio Sarri plays there. And I thought it was, I thought it was hilarious some of the reactions uh, when Sarri was interviewed uh, after the transfer. And he, you know, he, he pretty much said, you know, I didn't like he didn't know the transfer was was going down as it was as, that it was already being finalized. Uh, and everyone kind of ran with that as if to say that Sarri had no clue that that there was any chance that they were signing Pulisic. And clearly, if you listen to the interviews, uh, he, he, he made it clear that he was asked, he was asked his opinion about Pulisic a month ago. 
and he gave his opinion and it was a positive one. He said he gave a positive opinion and then Chelsea did the rest. Their, their, their management team did the rest and that's pretty much how, how they operate. Um, you know, I know most people think that, oh, you know, the managers is the one who's completely in charge of, of, of everything in terms of transfers and the like. I mean, that's the case in some settings with some teams, but clearly with Chelsea, uh, Sadi is the coach and, you know, they, he gives input on signings and they asked him for some input on the Pulisic signing. He, he raided Pulisic. They went and got, they went and spent the money to get, to go get him. And, you know, when you, when you think about the style of play, uh, the style that Sadi prefers, his reputation as a manager and, and developer of young talent, I think it's a great fit. And obviously nothing's guaranteed. There's no guarantee that Pulisic's going to step in there and become a starter. But you know what? He has to fight for that. And there was never a guarantee when he went to Dortmund that he'd play. But he took that chance when he first left the United States and went there uh, You know, at the age of 15, formally at the age of 16. But he's a player who's really risen to every challenge and uh, has exceeded ex- expectations over and over. And, you know, if if you had asked people three years ago, you know, would you see Pulisic starting for Dortmund regularly? Uh, I think most I, I think most people would have probably would have seen that. And he did that. And he did that uh, th- two years ago. And then obviously last year, uh, they added a bunch. They added some more players, and there there was more competition for playing time. And he continued to play, and he continued to do well. So he's continued to meet these challenges, and obviously now he hasn't been playing as regularly. Uh, part of that has been injuries, and part of that has been the emergence of Jaden Sancho. But you can definitely point to the timeline of of this season and the fact that he let Dortmund know he wasn't coming back, he wasn't going to resign. Uh, and we've seen this before in Europe when when players uh, are make it clear that they don't plan to stick around, they don't plan to sign a new deal. Teams start making different plans. They start making, they start to, to kind of formulate life without that player. And obviously, Jaden Sancho got his opportunity, made the most of it. He's been outstanding. Uh, Brune Larson is another player who's 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 gotten playing time, and 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 Pulisic's been part of a rotation. Uh, I do take issue with some of the characterization of Pulisic as this bench warmer. Now, if you look at Dortmund and if you look at at their games played. Uh, Pulisic has not gone consecutive matches without starting since, uh, and when he's healthy, he has not gone consecutive matches without starting, uh, all year. I mean, he, so even, even though he's, he's been, he's been on the bench for matches, he plays every other match. He starts every other match. So, uh, it isn't a full blown case of, of someone being buried on the bench. That's not what's happening. He's playing. He is playing. He's just not playing every single game. Uh, and obviously that's a cause for concern. If you're if you're a fan of Pulisic and you want to see him develop and you've seen him play as much as he's played over the last few years, to see him now being in a rotation is a cause for concern. But look, Dortmund's in first place in the Bundesliga. They qualified to the knockout rounds of the Champions League. So they're in the midst of a great season and it's kind of a, a case of every, things are working well now. And you can't really blame the manager for kind of setting up this rotation. Uh, I just think it's a little bit of a mischaracterization that he's this bench warmer. And that's, that's, I just think that's silly. So, you know, for those Chelsea fans who want to characterize it that way and, and, and want to look at it, I mean, Chelsea fans can be concerned. They, they, I'm sure they, they've seen enough young players come into the team and, just, and not play and kind of become wasted, wasted uh, talent and wasted, uh, you know, transfer fees. But, you know, with Pulisic, I think he's a player who's already shown that he can play on a high level. He, and that's where I think it's easy to kind of look at a Pulisic 
look at a Hudson Odoi and ask why are you why is Chelsea buying Pulisic when you already have a player like Hudson Odoi? Now obviously they don't play this they aren't necessarily the same players. They don't play the same position, but I mean, on the surface, the one thing you can point to is Pulisic has done it in a top league for multiple years as a regular. He's played in Champions League for three seasons now. So he has that experience. So let's not get it twisted. He is not your typical 20-year-old because he's got three seasons under his belt, two full seasons of regular playing time. So that's why it's a little different than than maybe some other young players, but we'll see. Uh, We'll see what happens with Pulisic. Uh, You know, he still, he has, he now has the rest of the season to finish out his time at Dortmund uh, in, in, in style. And, and I don't think they're going to bury him on the bench. I mean, they want to win and he still helps them. Uh, So we'll see, we'll see. And uh, you know, I think if anything, it's, it's probably a good time right now. Uh, it'd be one thing. You'd be it'd be a lot more of a cause for concern if World Cup qualifying was now, and then you're you know the U.S. is the best player. It maybe is in a bit of a situation where he might not, might not be playing much. So I, I think you know the fact that he'll have some time now to settle in and and you know show that he can handle that next level. Uh, it's it's a good thing, and the timing of it I think is pretty good. So uh, you know we'll see what happens from there. And uh, speaking of U.S. national team. The U.S. national team is getting ready to kick off 2019 with the first camp of the Greg Berhalter era. And I know we've been waiting for a while now for a coach. Oh, we were waiting. We waited more than a year for a head coach. And I know that wait really soured some people on the whole process. It really soured some people on Berhalter himself as a candidate. Uh, And for me, I I always had an issue with how long it took. And, you know, I, I, I think it was, you know, obviously... U.S. soccer is going to portray it more as a case of kind of unfortunate timing and everything with the presidential election, the U.S. soccer presidential election back in in February, uh, the bid for the hosting of the 2026 World Cup and all these things that got in the way. Uh, I mean, I didn't really buy those those excuses and those and that that argument for this delay. I think the delay was 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 kind of unnecessary. Uh, if you, for me, if you had hired Greg Berhalter a year ago, there would have been much less of a, of hand, hand wringing, much less, less of a negative reaction. Uh, I've said it, I think more than, on more than one occasion. If you think back to 2017, Berhalter leads the crew to the upset of Atlanta United, and then they demolished New York city FC. I mean, think about that. He, he beat Tata Martino in the playoffs, and then he turned around, he beat Patrick Vieira, who is pretty highly regarded and is, in, and is coaching in Europe now. He beat those two highly regarded coaches, and I think if he had gotten the job then, I think people would have been up for it. People would have been like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, here's a young American. He's shown he can he can coach, and, he, you know, he's, he's, he's done well with a team that doesn't have the most resources, and, and yeah, but now it's different. Now, look, people look at it, and now they frame it as, oh, you know, you could have had Tata Martino. You didn't even interview Tata Martino. Um you know, or or any of these other candidates. I mean, like for me, I, you know, I was someone who always thought Juan Carlos Osorio uh, should be interviewed for the position. He never got a chance to interview because by the time U.S. Soccer even got the ball rolling, he had already uh, gone down the road at, at other opportunities. And now Osorio is the coach of Paraguay. Um, but I don't know. For me, the fact that they didn't hire a coach before the World Cup, only to then not really seriously look at any any World Cup coaches. I think that's that. That for me is is a bit of a uh, is a bit of a disappointment. So whether it's Osorio, whether it's Carlos Queiroz, or, or you know, in, in any of these other managers, otherwise, why did you wait? 
Otherwise, why didn't you just hire a coach in the spring? But you know what? That's water under the bridge. Burhalter's the coach now, and now we're going to see his first camp. And obviously, it's an a, a, mostly MLS camp. Actually, I think it's an all MLS camp. Uh, and uh, it, it, you know, there's obviously some some interesting faces there. I know the fact that Michael Bradley's in camp is already annoying some people who think, okay, it's time to move on. Michael Bradley had his time. It's time to move on. I think it's a little unfortunate that Bradley has been kind of. Uh, turned into the poster child for the failed world cup qualifying campaign and as if he was the most to blame for the whole thing and i just think that's a load of crap i mean when you when it comes to bradley and out josie altador i feel like they both they just kind of become the whipping boys in this whole thing and it really wasn't about them and look they, can you argue yeah did they could they have played better in the in the decisive game against Trinidad? sure but guess what so could almost everybody on that field other than probably Chris and Pulisic. So, you know, if anything, if you want to point the blame, point the blame at Jurgen Klinsmann, point the blame at Bruce Arena. You can and, and point the blame to the team as a whole. But I think this whole idea of Bradley and Altidore as your poster child for all the hate, I just think it's stupid. And, you know, I think he still has something to bring to the table. I think Josie Altidore, clearly when healthy, still has something to bring to the table. And I know people are in a rush to go to this to the youth movement and the really exciting generation of talent that's in the pipeline. But these guys still have something to offer, and 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 I think we're still going to see them in the mix in 2019. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But uh, it's it's fair to say there's so much exciting young talent in the pipeline that. I totally get why people are excited to see the new generation and want to see the new the new young players, the Josh Sargents, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, uh, Jonathan Amon. Uh, there's a lot of young talent coming up, Tim Weah, uh, and we're going to see those guys. We're going to see those guys, you know, slowly but surely. Uh, and you know, those, a lot of those players are getting their opportunities now on the club level to develop. Tyler Adams is heading to Germany. He's heading to to RB Leipzig in the Bundesliga, and I think he's gonna do. I think he's gonna be great. I think he is going to. He I, he for me, if I could buy stock, it's Tyler Adams. I just think with his mentality, he's gonna he's gonna crush it in Europe. So, you love seeing these this new generation, but that doesn't mean that some of these older players still can't bring something to the table. And I think Berhalter sees that, and that's why I think you're seeing a Michael Bradley in camp, and why I think you're gonna see Josie Altidore. Uh, pretty soon in U.S. national team camp. You know, as soon as he's healthy, probably for the March friendlies, I, I would bet we see Altidore. And the U.S. national team kicks off camp on Sunday in Chula Vista, California, uh, Paul Ariola's hometown, and he's actually going to be part of the camp. He's in the camp. Uh, they'll be there on, uh, for about, I think, I believe it's like two weeks, and uh, then they head over to Arizona before their match against Panama, which will be Greg Burhalter's first match in charge. Uh, that's January 27th in Glendale, Arizona. Uh, I don't know what that stadium's called these days. Uh, I think at some point it was University of Phoenix Stadium. I don't know if that's what it's still called, but they play there January 27th, and then they go to San Jose, California to take on Costa Rica on February 2nd, and that's going to be Burhalter's first two matches in charge. Uh, and again, folks, this is the January slash February camp slash friendlies. Uh, it's it's obviously not the full squad, and they're going to be playing teams that aren't the full squad. It's not the full Panama. It's not the full Costa Rica, but it should be some interesting uh, viewing to see who, which of these new faces in the camp uh, have a chance to impress. And obviously, there's a, there's some young faces. There's some U23s that are in there: Austin Trusty, uh, Mark McKenzie, uh, Jeremy Abobasi. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing some of these younger guys as well. And uh, I think those are those are the ones that you wonder who's going to emerge, who's going to really have a chance to impress Burhalter and move up the the depth chart with the national team. 
Speaking of other national team camps, the U.S. Under-20 national team uh, kicks off its own camp. And it's not just the U-20s. The U-20s, the U-19s, the U-17s are all down in Florida uh, for a, a bit of a youth summit. They're not calling it a youth summit this time around because they did it a year ago. Uh, but they are having all the youth national teams together. Tab Ramos has, has organized that. And, and uh, you know, they're going to have some they're going to play some games. They're going to have a camp. Uh, but it's a chance to see a, a new crop of talent because obviously the U.S. Under-20s uh, qualify for the under 20 world cup they won the Concacaf championship in what was an exciting and impressive tournament for that group back in november uh beating mexico in the final uh there were definitely some stars to emerge out of that group none bigger than alex mendez uh the former la galaxy academy player who's now at sc freiburg in in the bundesliga he was unbelievable in that tournament uh this under 20 camp isn't going to feature uh, those big names. It's going to it's going to have you know it's going to have a sprinkling of players from that team. But there's a lot of new faces as well. And uh, one of the faces for me uh, that was interesting to see is Edwin Lara. Uh, for those who the name sounds familiar, if the name sounds familiar, it's because Edwin Lara was was with the Mexican national team at one point the, with the under 17s. I believe he played in the under 17 World Cup for Mexico. He's born in the U.S. He's Amer- he's American, uh, but he chose to play for Mexico. And uh, he's had a bit of a rough patch in his career. He kind of fell off the radar. I believe he's still at Pachuca, um, but he's kind of come through it now. And I think, and you know, I think it's been a while now that he had made the decision to to come back to the U.S. and and play for the U.S. And I think he's one that bears watching because he, you know, he was. At, I remember at one point he was considered one of the top prospects in the world. At least he was thrown on one of those list, uh, one of those uh, international best prospects in the world lists at one point before his, his career hit a bit of a rough patch. But here he is. He's in the camp, and uh, we'll see if he can, he can build on that. And another player that it's interesting to see is Nick Tidegu from uh, Schalke. A player who uh, who I've been hearing about for a long time as a, as as one of the top uh, attacking midfielder type prospects in the U.S. pipeline. He's been at Shaka for a few years now. There's been some injuries with him that that have, have slowed him down, slowed his development. But he's still very much a, a a very talented prospect, and I think it's an encouraging sign that he's actually in this camp and that Shaka released him for this camp. Uh, he's someone that you definitely he's a name you're going to want to remember. And um, there's there's a, there's a bunch of names in this camp, but for me. Tidegu and, and Lara are two of the bigger names in this camp. Now we're going to shift gears a little bit and head over to Major League Soccer. And obviously there, there, there's some huge storylines to, to get into, uh, particularly the coaching slash general manager carousel that, that we've seen uh, this offseason. Obviously Tata Martino left the uh, left Atlanta United after leading Atlanta to the championship. He's, he's ready to be named the coach of the Mexican national team. That's not official yet, but I mean, at this point, it's pretty clear that's going to happen. Uh, and Atlanta turned around and hired Frank DeBoer, the Dutch manager, former, you know, top class player during his playing days and you know he obviously had success as a manager for Ajax and not as much success during his short stint in England which uh, or in in uh, in the Premier League which you know Premier League fans will love to point out uh, but he is still a, a big name highly respected manager and he steps in there to Atlanta United and it was definitely interesting to see Atlanta go uh, the European route as opposed to the South American route after Tato Martino uh, you know obviously put his stamp on on Atlanta United and there was there's there is there was and is such a South American influence there um, but you know the Atlanta clearly believes that Devorah can still step in there and and and, and make us make it a smooth transition uh, for a team that is even though they want to tie they're going through a what's going to be a, a pretty serious overhaul when you consider uh, Miguel Almiron is is likely to leave via transfer this this uh, winter. Uh, 
you know, it's still unclear where he's going to go. Um, there's nothing that's close. I know there were some reports, there were some premature reports a while ago about Newcastle and, 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 and the fact that the, you know, or the idea that they were pretty much going to, that it was a done deal. Obviously it was never a done deal. And now it's not even looking like Newcastle is going to be the destination for him, but he is going to go somewhere. Uh, Almiron has clearly impressed scouts and, and rightfully so. You can argue he was the best player in MLS in 2018. And that's no knock on Joseph Martinez. But if you watched, if you watched, uh, Atlanta United in 2018, for me personally, Almiron was their most important player. He just really made things tick. He really made things go in that attack. And, uh, I think the scouts that saw Almiron, you can understand why they're eager to try to sign him. Now, that being said, I don't think teams are eager to break the bank to pay what Atlanta United is looking for for him. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But I mean, if, if you're asking me, you know, do I see a deal getting done? I see a deal getting done. I just I think there's too much money that that can be in. I think there's too much the potential for too much money is involved there. And I don't think Atlanta is going to get what they're looking for, but I think they're going to get a pretty good price for him. And I think Almiron is going to make his move. And and Atlanta has already made their kind of next their corresponding move. Uh, P.T. Martinez, uh, the Argentine midfield star, is already pretty much said he's he has said he's coming to Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta hasn't announced it. Obviously, I think they're waiting for the Almiron sweepstakes to, to finish. I think they're waiting for Almiron's transfer to to be done before they announce Martinez. I think that that's the sense that I get. Uh, obviously, they don't want it to drag on too long because Atlanta United has CONCACAF Champions League to worry about in February. Uh, so they're going to have to get together for camp pretty soon. And, you know, they're going to need to sort that out. Um, but Martinez is going to be with Atlanta. That's obviously a huge signing for them. He isn't exactly the same kind of player that Almiron is, but he is obviously an impact player for them. Uh, he should be an impact player. Anyone that's anyone that saw him with River Plate uh, knows that that he has the quality, that he should step in and be a top player in MLS. So once again, Atlanta sparing no expense to bring in the big pieces to keep their team among the best in the league. And they really are setting the bar. And obviously 20, in 2018, they set the bar winning winning a championship and and there's no rest for the champions they've just without missing a beat they're continuing to roll continuing to 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 keep up the juggernaut that they've built in atlanta and uh you know we'll see and and obviously it's not just the blockbuster moves they also picked up breck shea in a move that i know uh had had a lot of people scratching their heads a lot of people kind of uh ma- making fun of the move it's pretty funny i know a lot of people that have had to sit through a month of of gloating from atlanta uh, united and their fans and their social media team over winning the title and when Breck, when you know, I I, I reported the Breck Shea signing, and and it was, uh, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know what I expected as a reaction. I mean, I figured there'd be some kind of there'd be some good natured ribbing because of Breck Shea's struggles in recent years, but the level of angst over the over the signing was a little surprising to me. When it comes down to is this, Breck Shea is not he, he obviously he's had his struggles. Really, since he's left after FC Dallas, the, the the failed move to England, uh, his time in Orlando didn't reap didn't really work out, and then his time in Vancouver didn't really work out. And the whole time he was getting paid big money. Now, obviously, at, at this point in his career, you know he he can't command the money that he used to make. He's a bargain signing by you know by virtue of what he you know used to cost. Uh, I don't have the specifics on the contract, but I I'm, I'm think it's a safe bet that Atlanta has not has signed him on a modest contract. And for me, it's worth the chance. It's worth the gamble of bringing him in, 
because you have to ask yourself, do you think he's, you, do you, are you worried that he's going to be an issue in the locker room? And I know people will get caught up in the fact that he is an eccentric person. Uh, he's always been a, been of a bit of a different kind of cat. Um, but uh, Carlos Bogonegra played with him with the national team. He knows him as a player. And I don't think he had concerns about him in the locker room. So if you don't have concerns about him being, in a, him being a disruptive force in the locker room and you accept that he is versatile, he is athletic, he does give you some qualities, um, and you can get that at a discount. If you can get that for two hundred thousand, or you know, or two hundred and fifty thousand in today's you know day of of TAM and and general allocation money, I I do it. I would do it. And I know I know some people are already worried. Okay, does this mean that that you're not going to see George Bello play the you know start at left back? Are you going to see Breck Shea start at left back? I don't think it's that simple. I just think I think Shea gives you options. I think he can play as a left forward, as a left winger, as a wing back you know, left back in a pure four-man defense, I'm not so sure about, but he's played everywhere on the left side in his career. So I I, I like it. I like the signing. And, you know, people who don't see the potential for it, I can see why they would freak out, but I see why Atlanta did it. So uh, they just might they just might pull that one off and that, that one just might work out for them. So we'll see. Another big another big coaching hire uh, that went down this week was Guillermo Barroschelotto hired by the LA Galaxy. And I know Skeloto was was linked to Atlanta United originally. Uh and you know it didn't it didn't work out there. They chose De Boer. Uh it's unclear if Skeloto would have always preferred the Galaxy, but I do think it's a good fit. And it was interesting to see everything that went down with the LA Galaxy coaching search. Uh and you know I think most people would have expected Caleb Porter to be the pick. And you know for those of you who missed it, uh the shot of Caleb Porter courtside at a Lakers game with Chris Klein, uh I think most people saw that as okay it's a done deal. He's going to be the coach of the galaxy. Uh, and, and it was funny cause I definitely know some, some, some certain reporters who, 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 who like to, who, who maybe, who maybe like to jump the gun on things, uh, were quick to report that, that Porter, that it was a done deal, that he was going to be the coach. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't done. Uh, there were definitely discussions that took place, but my understanding and in, in, in talking to my sources is that, Basically, it came down to ten, Dennis DeClosa deciding that Porter was not the guy, not the guy for the Galaxy. And before DeClosa made that decision, Porter was going to be the coach. It, it was already heading in that direction. Uh, Chris Klein was already kind of steering that in motion. And I think once DeClosa came on board and he felt things out and he had a chance to speak to Caleb Porter, I don't think he was convinced that Caleb I mean, I know he wasn't convinced that Caleb Porter was the guy, and then he went in a different direction. And, you know, Porter, to his credit, I mean, he, he kind of rolled with the punches because now he's ready to take a, uh, uh, the Columbus Crew job. And I know, I know, and I can tell you with 100% certainty that the Galaxy job was a job that Porter had coveted for a while. And it's a job I guarantee that he wanted. But obviously it didn't work out there. But now he's going to Columbus in what could be actually a great opportunity now with the new ownership group there. But before we even get into the Columbus move, I think Schelotto is an excellent hire for the Galaxy. I think having someone, having an international coach, um, I think the Galaxy are at a point in time where they need, you want to see them internationalize themselves. And obviously David Beckham helped put them on the map globally, right? Uh, and and I, I think they I think they need to kind of 
lean into that that kind of identity as being more than just kind of a, a an LA team, more than just an American team. They need to try to kind of brand themselves as a bit more of an international player. Uh, and obviously, we'll all we all remember the failed Rude Hulet experiment, right? Which was the last time that 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 you know they tried a big name international coach did not work out for them. Uh, and obviously Bruce Arena came in and really built an empire there. He built, he built a dynasty. Uh, so you, you know, you can understand why they did that and it worked wonders for them. But I think they're at a point in time now where hiring Shiloto, uh, having, you know, bringing someone in with that kind of inter, uh, Latin American cachet, but also with MLS pedigree, I think that combination makes him a great, great choice. Uh, and I tell you what, as, as, as good a hire as Shiloto is, I think the bigger, higher in the more impactful higher for the galaxy has been and will be Dennis DeClosa because I really think he's someone who is going to set the tone there and is really going to kind of establish a new way of doing business there uh, that the galaxy has they they've sorely needed really since Bruce Arena left to, to take over the U.S. national team and DeClosa has wasted no time putting his stamp on things and I think I think that team of, of Schelotto and DeClosa I think is going to help turn things around with the galaxy and I really see them uh, rebounding. Now it might take a little time because I mean, they have some bad contracts on their books and obviously Zlatan signing as uh, signing a new designated player deal is going to force them to make some tough decisions right now. They have technically four designated players on the books. They have to get rid of one. I know the running joke is that, well, at this point in time, MLS usually just creates a new rule to help the galaxy. That's, that's funny and also true, but I think in today's day and age, I don't think anyone is in a hurry to see uh to see a fourth designated player slot handed out to teams like to a team like Atlanta because Atlanta will go and decide to keep Almiron or they'll go get another 20 million dollar player and I don't think anyone wants uh, to you know I don't think anyone wants that smoke so I don't think MLS is going to is going to change that rule so we'll see what Atlanta, we'll see what the Galaxy do uh but I, I tell you what with the close central Escaloto in charge now, I really like their chances of, of rebuilding into a powerhouse. And they got to do it because LAFC, I think, is going to only get better. I think LAFC as an organization is going to just, is just they're going to push the galaxy. LAFC is going to be a force. And I know uh, last season ended in disappointing fashion for LAFC, but I really think they are going to, the second year, I think they're going to be a strong team. And I think they can, they're going to continue to build. So if you're the galaxy, you have got to get it together. And I think it was disastrous that they had the awful 2018 that they had. But you know what? If if in the end, it means that now they they were able to put together a team that helps them rebuild and really ter- be turned back into a powerhouse, then who knows? Maybe 2018 was worth it going through the disaster that they went through. Now we have to talk about the Columbus crew. And the Save the Crew campaign has been been a success the crew have been saved uh they have a new ownership group now and i tell you what they're not wasting any time uh building what looks to be a formidable team there and uh even though they haven't formally announced anything as, as far as i've seen uh it looks like they will be hiring Caleb porter as their head coach and now it looks like they're going to be hiring former uh toronto fc uh, front office boss Tim Bezvichenko to run this uh, to run to be their general manager and that's huge because I tell you what Bezvichenko showed with Toronto that he is a sharp front office mind and we already know about Caleb Porter MLS Cup champion uh, quality coach and I think that that 
dream that tandem is kind of like a dream team and you think when you think about columbus and and obviously their their familiarity bezbachenko is from ohio uh caleb porter obviously coached at akron uh university so he has his years in ohio uh so if you're if you're the columbus crew ownership and you can you could have just had your dream of 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 the two guys you would want to run your new organization you could not have asked for more than those two and uh obviously it was it was it was a scary it was a scary year for folks in Columbus and it's been a really ugly affair it was an ugly affair everything that went on uh with with Columbus and and the threat of the move to Austin uh and Anthony Precourt just kind of becoming public enemy number 1 in Columbus and I think the whole thing was really shady to be honest and and I think most people agree that it was all a bit shady and and MLS came away not looking great in the whole thing and the fact that uh, that that pre-court now will have a team in Austin I don't know how anyone feels super comfortable with with him as an owner just because of what he pulled in Columbus and now we're just supposed to believe that now he's really going to care. Now he's really going to be serious about caring about Austin. I mean, I guess he will if they're going to be spending the two hundred million dollars on a stadium and 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 really trying to have a successful team in Austin. Uh, I wish him luck. I wish them luck. I love Austin as a city, and uh, I think it could definitely work as a soccer town. But uh, I don't know, man. That that the fact that it's that same group, and now they they've hired the, the president for the Austin team, and it's the same guy that Precourt had in Columbus. You know, you 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 wonder, you worry, you worry a little bit, but we'll see if they can make it work. But in Columbus, they've already moved on. They've already, you know, it's on to the next. And they and if they succeed in in hiring Porter and Bezbachenko, I mean, you got to feel real good if you're Columbus, even though uh, you know Zach Steffen is is heading to England uh, with his big transfer to Manchester City. He'll be leaving in the summer. But still, if you're a fan of, if you're a crew fan, you got to be feeling pretty good about where things are now. Even though obviously Greg Berhalter has left, has gone on uh, to coach the national team, and Zach Steffen's going to be leaving this summer. But considering the the fact that you were, you know, people in Columbus thought they would lose the team altogether, you still have to be feeling pretty good about where things stand. And I just, for me, I just have one, I just have one, uh, one suggestion. And that's dropping the whole SC thing, Crew SC. I'm pretty sure that was Anthony Precourt's thing. Let it go, folks. Drop it. Call them the Columbus Crew. They they have been. They always were. And for me, they always will be the Crew. Call them the Crew. Get rid of SC. It was it was silly for me. For me, it was always silly, and it's even sillier now. And if anything, I think it's 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 one little final kind of you know middle finger to pre-court like take your sc and shove it shove it where the where the sun don't shine in austin right uh so we'll see we'll see what they do hopefully they take my advice because i, I personally I, I refuse to call them that uh i don't know if anyone else refuses to call them crew sc but hopefully the new ownership agrees and they scrap the sc part of it up next we have to talk about the mls draft which is coming up it's fast approaching it's actually a week away it's a week from today and uh it's earlier than normal um just just the way the time the the calendar broke out uh i'm actually headed down to orlando uh later today for the mls combine and uh there's no other way to say it but really the obviously the the mls draft is 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 continued to to cut to kind of wane and diminish in uh in importance in mls circles but there is still talent uh down in the combine there's still talent in the draft to be had uh maybe you can argue there's less of it and there's definitely less uh you know impact 
impact-type players. There's fewer impact-type players than there used to be. And it really comes down to just when you think about college soccer and you think about uh, the, the way the changing trends and the fact that more and more younger Americans are choosing to go different routes uh, to for their development. And you're seeing more and more top young American talent going overseas, going to Europe, uh, and also more more of the top talent make, finding their way to MLS academies. Uh, so, and by doing that, they end up going down the homegrown route. So you're getting fewer of the top, top talents, uh, going, funneling into the college system. Uh, and, and when you see that kind of drain of talent that normally would have been in the college game, no longer being there. Now you understand why you're starting to see more international talent kind of filling the void, filling the gap. And and you're seeing more uh, foreign players, more international players, more players coming from Europe, coming from South America, uh, going into the college game. And, you know, while that's good and on one hand, it's also tough because obviously in MLS, you only have a certain number of international slots. And and now you have teams who who are finding uh, a player draft pool where a lot of the better players are in are foreign players, international players. So now you're stuck trying to decide, do I spend an international slot on a on a player that I draft or do I use all my international slots on players that I go sign? And obviously when you look at a team like Atlanta United, uh, they draft that didn't stop them from draft drafting Julian Gressel two years ago. And I'm pretty sure they're happy with that decision. Clearly Julian Gressel has panned out, you know, the German German born uh, midfielder. Uh, he's obviously won rookie of the year. He was a big he was a big big piece to the puzzle in their championship run. But obviously it's not easy finding players like Gressel and and you know when you look at this year's draft, I don't know if anyone can look at at the players in this draft and say, "Okay, well I think this guy's going to be the next Gressel." I mean, even if you just go back to last year's draft, last year's draft had had very little in the way of impact players in terms of year 1 impact. Uh, actually, for me, I think Chris Chris Mueller from Orlando City, uh, Brandon Bay with New England, uh, those are two players. Those are two of the only players who really had a made a real impact coming out of the draft in 2018. Now, obviously, there's some younger players that you know. As as we move on, as we you know take some, uh, get a few years down the road, maybe some players emerge. But uh, it's a bit of a dim- diminishing return in the draft. So. Uh, the combine is a little bit of a different different scene now because now it's it's not even about it's not as much about the combine anymore as it is about it almost being in kind of informal winter meetings. There's obviously going to be a lot of trade talk going on, a lot of wheeling and dealing. There's still moves to be made, and and I think you're going to see quite a few trades go down in the next week and and players making moves. Yeah, uh, you know, veteran players making moves. It's not just about draft picks. I think you're going to see some trades. I think you're going to see some willing and dealing. And obviously, now that you have a 24 team league, you're going to have 24 teams now with the FC Cincinnati. You just have more opportunity for trades and more more teams that can, you know, if you don't like the offers that one team, you know, this group of teams are, are making, you can go to another another group of teams. So I th- I just think you're going to see uh, some some trades go down in the next week, and it's going to be interesting. Uh, as far as the draft itself, now obviously, I'm the I'm a I am a quote unquote draft expert as much as there can be a thing, and I don't think it's really there can be a thing. But as someone who's really uh, kind of d- done the deep dive over the last decade on the draft, I can tell you that this this year's draft is is light on first year ready talent but there's definitely some promising talent in this draft the generation adidas class is is definitely young and uh it's not i I don't 
I can't look at I don't look at this generation Adidas class and say, okay, that guy is going to play in year one. That guy could, is going to be rookie of the year. Uh, I think it's a little tougher uh, to to read that. I mean, I think there's definitely some promising talent when you look at someone like Tejon Buchanan, the Syracuse winger, uh, Frankie Amaya, the the U.S. under twenty midfielder who impressed me so much at the Concacaf Championships. Uh, his performance in the final against Mexico, I think, really put him into this position where now he's the generation Adidas signing. He could definitely be one of the top picks in the draft. Someone like Manny Perez, who for me, if he had been in the last draft in the 2018 draft. Manny Perez is probably a top three pick, potentially a number one pick in the 2018 draft. Now, he stayed in college another year, and, uh, you know, now, you know, he's left school. He's weighing some offers. He's got some offers on the table in Europe, and he, as of Friday at 1.30 p.m., he has not signed a deal with anybody and, and, and has not signed a Generation Adidas contract. But if he does sign a Generation Adidas contract... He, for me, is a top three pick, no question about it. So there is some talent in this draft, but Manny Perez, is, for me, isn't going to start year one. Frankie Amaya is not going to start year one. Tejon Buchanan, I don't think, is going to start year one. J.J. Williams is not going to start year one. So that's where it's a little tricky. And and I think maybe you'll see a you know a couple of seniors go higher uh, than than expected. You, maybe you'll see a Callum Montgomery, uh, the big Canadian defender, or an Andre Shinashiki, the Brazilian forward from Denver, uh, you know, or an Akeem Ward, the the right back slash left back from Creighton. These are the seniors that, for me, are the top seniors in this draft, and the guys who, with the right team, you could plug them in, and they could end up playing in year one. So it's going to be an interesting draft, interesting combine. I'll be down in Orlando providing updates throughout the week. I'll be talking to coaches and GMs uh, around from all over the league, not just about the draft, but about, but about everything going on. So make sure you're reading gold.com and make sure you're checking out my Twitter feed, my my Facebook page. I, I'm, I'm, I'm ramping everything back up, folks, in case you hadn't noticed. And the fact that you're listening to this show tells you that things are, you know, I'm getting back to the old me and, and getting back to doing all the things I used to do. I mean, full disclosure, just to give you, let you guys know, I mean, I really hit a wall going back to 2016, uh, summer 2016 around Copa America. I just think I really hit a wall uh, in terms of all the things that I was doing and not feeling great, not feeling fully healthy. Uh, but right now I'm feeling great. Uh, I had in the 2019 feeling really good, really strong, ready to do it all, ready to bring the show SBI show back, ready to do more videos, ready to do, uh, you know, just do more and get back to doing the things that I used to do. So, you know, if you're, if you've been following me through the years, Get ready because there's going to be plenty of content, plenty for you to to take in, and 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 thanks and thanks for you who have supported me, and and I look forward to bringing you more and more. So I'm excited, I'm excited, and and I'll be bringing you more things like the next interview, the first interview of this show, in the first interview of 2019, we have a special guest. Uh, Tony Alfaro, who was one of the surprise uh, signings of the of the winter, he left the Seattle Sounders. He's joining Chivas Guadalajara in a move that I know surprised some people, but Chivas had had its eye on Alfaro for some time, going back to last summer. And he obviously uh, Tony Alfaro, uh, his contract expired with Seattle. They did chose not to resign him. Chivas pounced, and now Tony Alfaro heads into the the new Mexican season with the big club and the reigning CONCACAF champions, uh, Chivas Guadalajara, and it's a great opportunity, and we're lucky enough to have him join us from Mexico. Tony Alfaro, welcome to the SBI Show. How are you doing today? I'm good, good. Uh, doing well, thank you. 
Well, well, definitely. Thanks for for coming on. And obviously, it's a it's a big week, and it's been a big big few weeks for you uh, since you since you, you you got together with with Chivas. And tell me tell me just how I know that the team that that's been interested in you for a while, uh, and now to ha- actually have it happen. Tell me a little about how it all kind of came together and and how it came down to you signing the contract. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously there was there was uh, many rumors at the beginning of the year, the beginning of the year and the summer. I think it was it was all just a rumor. There was no like concrete, you know, like something certain or maybe not even anything that they had got in touch with us. But I mean, it wasn't until this this last month in November, right before Thanksgiving, um, when my agent called me and he kind of just, you know, he kind of said it would happen, you know, and um, I'm just very excited, very grateful for this opportunity. Um, It's obviously something that I I don't think anybody would ever pass up. And um, yeah, it's been a crazy month, this last month, but I mean, you know, everything's been worth it up until now. So, so now it's definitely been an, an up and down year for you. Um, you know, I, I know. Remember, in the beginning of the year, uh, you had a chance to, to to make a couple of starts in the Concacaf Champions League, and and as far as I know, I think that's maybe where Chivas first saw you, as they were scouting Seattle. Um, and then obviously during the season in Seattle, uh, playing time w- was tough to come by there. And so as you're kind of going through the ups and downs of this year, uh, you know, if I had told you back in the spring where you'd be right now. I mean, could you, could you have seen this kind of playing out the way it ended up playing out? Uh, no, that, that, that's why everything kind of was, it just came over my head and it was just out of nowhere. And I was super surprised because obviously, you know, with the year that I had, it was, there was, um, it was a very hard year for me, probably my hardest year in Seattle. And, you know, something like this coming from such a big club, and getting interest from them, you know, it it almost didn't seem possible to me. It almost seemed like it was just reaching way too far. Um, but like I said, you know, my agent, he put me in a good position. And, you know, luckily I'm here now. Now, now I know you're, as, as much as it was an up and down year, I know you're a confident guy. Now that you've had a chance to train with Chivas for for a while now, I mean, you, do you feel pretty comfortable? I mean, is it obviously you know they, they, they you're with them for you've been with them for a while. They signed you to the deal. Uh, you've trained with them for 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 weeks now. Uh, how do you, how do you feel now that you're there? I mean, does it kind of feel uh, some of the mystique worn off a little? Now you feel like you know I'm home now. This is like I, I belong here. I'm good enough. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've been here like you said a couple of weeks, maybe a little over a month now. Um, and training with them daily and stuff. It, it's a lot different than it was in Seattle, but I feel really comfortable, really confident. And, um, you know, I'm just trying to enjoy the moment, enjoy enjoy the time I get to play and train and be with the team and, you know, just, just keep learning and growing from there. What's, uh, what's been the uh, – what's kind of been the – has there been anything surprising about, about just the, this transition and just being there or, or has it all kind of gone smoothly? I mean, obviously you're – you're new to the you're new to Liga Mekis, but you know you're born in Mexico. You you know the league. Um, has it been pretty smooth, or what's been the toughest part for you? Um, well, I think first of all, moving out of the country. You know, I went to the states when I was a year old. 
And obviously, this is my first time playing in Mexico. The lifestyle, the culture here is a lot different than it was in the States. But, but I mean, I feel super com- uh, confident and comfortable being here just because, you know, I, I was born here. Um, and, you know, my friends, my family, we all, you know, the culture, you can never lose a culture. And coming back, it's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing, getting in touch with everything. And, you know, the the language, I obviously, I, I speak um my Spanish really well. Um, and yeah, up until this moment, everything has gone, has gone smoothly. Um, but, but yeah, I don't think I have, I don't have one complaint or, or anything bad to say about my move or, or what's been going on here so far. Now, now obviously, you know, you, you spent, uh, you know, your time in Seattle and, you know, with a learning experience, and you had a chance to experience the championship and 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 everything that that happened there. What what's your what was kind of your biggest takeaway about your time in Seattle? What what will you remember? What's been your kind of your fondest memory of your time there? Well, I mean, obviously, it has to be winning an MLS Cup. You know, as a rookie there, and winning it my first year, it was just an amazing experience. I learned so much being there three years. You know, I've had a lot of lessons and experiences that you know that I, that I encountered obviously ups and downs but at the end of the day everything everything that I was taught there I um I'm very grateful for it grateful for the learning experiences and you know I have nothing bad to say about Seattle and yeah right now, now obviously uh, when you were in Seattle you played with uh you played with a man, uh, Hercules Gomez, or you, you know, you, you spent time with him. And uh, the reason I, I think of him is because you know when people heard about your move to to, to Chivas, people kind of thought, oh, you know, is that like, does this, is he going to make it there? Should he be going there? And I remember when Her- Hercules when Herc went to Mexico, uh, what seems like a million years ago, <laughs> people thought, you know, is he going to make it in Mexico? Like, why is he going to Mexico? He ended up winning the Golden Boot and having obviously a great time in Mexico. So. Uh, you know, have you had a chance to talk to him? And, and when you think, when you hear that kind of story, does that kind of give you some confidence? Like maybe you'll be that next guy to go there and, and show people that that you know you can go down to Mexico and and and, and tear it up. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew Hurt. We played. Uh, where was it? Yeah, maybe a year together, and I did know his story. But just like all athletes, you know, all soccer players, their story is a little bit different, obviously. But yes, it's it's obviously motivating, you know, to see someone like himself um, come out to Liga IMX and you know do what he did, um, great accomplishments individually and as a team, you know. And obviously that that's motivating, you know. You see that and you're like, you know what? Like if they can do it, like why can I do it? You know. And I I kind of want to be that role model and that same example for other people, Mexican Americans, you know, if they decide to make a jump and come here, you know, to have to have success and obviously that's why I'm here I'm looking for for a breakthrough in my career and you know as, as big as the team Chivas is you know I'm hoping I can accomplish great things with them yeah obviously it, it's been a tough time in American soccer with the with the recent news of, of the passing of of Siggy Schmidt who, who obviously you know well he was your he was your first coach in the pros uh, just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on on him and if you have any kind of you know story that stands out in your mind about just him He's obviously someone who was so beloved in the game, and you know I knew the guy for 20 years, and, and we had a really good relationship. Well, is there is there kind of a story that stands out in your mind about your time with Siggy Schmidt? Well, I mean, first of all, I'm very grateful because he's obviously 
she's the one that gave me the opportunity to start my my professional career, you know, and I will always have that in mind and be grateful for that. And, you know, Ziggy was a great person, even better coach, you know, all the things he accomplished um, and the different teams he was at. He was just a great person, a kind person, you know, in the short time that I was there or yeah, that I was there while he was still there. My first year, which was, I think like six months, you know, I learned so much as advice it, to a young kid. It was very motivating. Um, you know, he, he always found this way to like inspire me and to keep me going even through tough times when I wasn't playing. And, you know, but when he gave me the opportunity to play, I obviously wanted to take advantage advantage of the opportunities I was given and you know I was very thankful for that now that you know you're going to begin this new journey in Mexico my last question for you is uh for you know for the people who, who kind of wondering how you're going to do there um why 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 do you think why do you see yourself doing well in in, in Liga Mekis uh, stylistically I me personally I think it's it, 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 from a style standpoint I think you fit very well with the style of play there and, and, and with, with, with your strengths as a player, why, why do you see, why do you think you're going to be able to do well? I do think I'm, I think my qualities as a soccer player fit the style of the soccer that is played here in Liga Mekis. I mean, obviously I have a lot to learn. I have a lot, you know, to recover, to regain my career, but I'm more motivated than ever, um, I think with the experience that I gained in Seattle and playing in the MLS is definitely going to help me bring that experience here. Um, but, you know, as, as to the opinions of others, I, there's always going to be opinions, uh, good and bad. I appreciate both. I think the good, you know, supportive, but they both keep me going. I just, like I said, I, I'm focused on myself. I want to be a successful soccer player here. And, you know, my focus is on this year now and getting better as a player and a person. Well, great. Well, uh, I definitely, I'm definitely glad to have you on. And uh, just make sure that at, when, you, when you, after you score your first goal or after you win your first title down in Mexico, you have to come back on the show so you can tell us all about the journeys. Uh, you know, you just got to promise to come back. Of course. Most definitely. But once again, thanks a lot for coming on and uh, good luck down in Guadalajara and, and uh, expect big things in 2019. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's Tony Alfaro. And I got to say, you know, when I heard that he signed with Chivas Guadalajara, I, I was super excited for him. Uh, he's a player I was lucky enough to, to get to know uh, when he was when he came into the draft. And, and, and it's funny because I'm heading down to the MLS Combine. Uh, today and uh, that's actually where I met uh, Tony Alfaro uh, at the combine the year that he came out and uh, you know I heard about him I watched him as a prospect and I remember thinking you know here's this small school kid uh, with with tons of talent and a great personality great temperament and and just someone who you know could you could see falling under the radar right but if the right person saw him They'd see the quality, and they'd see they'd see the quality that, that he has. Even though he wasn't from your typical big school, he wasn't from, he didn't go to UCLA, he didn't go to Maryland, he didn't go to Virginia, any of those big schools. He was a small school kid, but he had the ability. And uh, and it and it's kind of it's interesting and it's fitting that the coach that saw that ability and the coach that decided to take a chance on him was Siggy Schmidt, uh, and obviously. Uh, Siggy Schmidt passed away uh, on Christmas Day, and it was definitely devastating news. 
in American soccer uh, because just so many people who, who who were affected and influenced it and 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 just helped by by Siggy Schmidt as a coach and he, I mean the, he really was it's funny because it, it's not when now when he passed away and you saw the reaction and you saw the number of people the testimonials of of people who who were influenced by him and who were positively affected by him, whether, you know, guys like Eric Winalda, Carlos Bocanegra, Benny Failhaber, Robbie Rogers. Uh, I mean, you could go back. I mean, Nick Raimondo, uh, I'm sure Brad Friedel. You, know, you, go, you go through the years and the decades, and you go back to UCLA, and you go to his time in MLS, and uh, he, just really, uh, he just really positively influenced and positively affected so many people. And I think it's kind of it's kind of fitting to have Tony Alfaro on because he's he's another he's another in that tree in that Siggy Schmidt tree and uh, it, it was definitely devastating for me to hear uh, about about Siggy Schmidt. Now I I knew I knew Siggy for for twenty I want to say about twenty years since I've been in the biz and and he was always great to to work with and talk to and you know I remember being just kind of this this little punk reporter from New Jersey <laughs> bothering Siggy Schmidt about Danny Zatella uh, in the early years, uh, all the way through to, to kind of becoming a national writer. And, and, and he always had time. He always had time to talk and always had, had time to kind of uh, give you his opinion and his insight into things. And, you know, I know a lot of people took the time to, to kind of have their, their memories of, of Siggy. And, and I was kind of torn about, should I write a piece about it? I felt weird doing that because I, I I know some people did it. No knock on anyone who did that. I just kind of felt I just didn't know how I wanted to kind of uh, honor the honor uh, uh, really a special person uh, in 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 American soccer and and he had his influence on me as well and and I'll always remember a moment with him uh, which was uh, the, it was the day of Seattle's first game. And in their first game in MLS, and obviously they had the great, they played the Red Bulls, and they, and they ended up just crushing the Red Bulls in front of a packed house at, at what is now Central Link Field. And, uh, you know, we ran into each other well after the game, and I guess he had come back up to the press box to do, I don't know if he was on TV or radio or what, but, you know, we crossed paths there, and, and we had a chance to just kind of chat. And uh, at one point he goes to me, and he's like, look, he's like, you're, you're a soccer guy. This is this has got to this has got to be a trip for you. This has got to be you know this has got this has got to feel pretty special, just the scene that day. And and it, and it was it was a special it was a special day because, you know, for all the knocks about Seattle and and how they they take credit for things and whatnot, Seattle really helped raise the bar to a new level in terms of just the the fan support for an MLS team and just the atmosphere and the fact that the Sounders had this great team right away in year one, and 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 Siggy kind of was making that point to me that you know this had to feel good to see this kind of scene as someone who's put years into the game and I I was I was hung up on the fact that he called me a soccer guy which at the time I probably you know I've a, for those of you who don't know I mean I played football American football when I was younger and I've obviously put my 20 plus years into the game of of, of soccer now but at the time to hear it from him call me a soccer guy was was like it was an honor cuz I mean he is he was a soccer guy and he was the definition of a soccer guy who put in decades and decades and decades to help the game and to help people in the game. And, and that's why when he said, when he called me a soccer guy, it was like an honor to me. And, and I couldn't help but think of that 
at that point because here's a guy who once again helps help establish something, help set a new bar uh, by what he did in Seattle and what he did before that in Columbus and what he did before that with the Galaxy and before that with UCLA. And, and you know, just to see that, the way he influenced not only teams, but the way he indiv- influenced individual players, uh, that is what's going to, that's going to be his legacy. That really is going to be his legacy. And, and I, and I tweeted it when he passed away, he was a giver and, you know, in this, in this world, in this, you're not always going to find people who are so willing to give and, 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 and not care about receiving, you know, for him, for me, he was all about giving and he did not mind giving his time, giving his knowledge, giving, giving, giving his encouragement. And, and it's, it's great to see so many people, step up and and point out how he helped them. And that's what really showed, I want to hope it showed a lot of people just what he meant to the game. And, and I got to say, rest in peace, Ziggy Schmidt, Uh, one of a kind, truly one of a kind. So it's kind of sad to wrap it up on a sad note, but I feel like, I feel like Siggy deserved his moment there. And, uh, you know, I want to thank uh, Tony Alfaro for joining us and, and uh, you know what, being our first guest of the new year and the first guest of the SBI show reboot and it's coming back it, it is back and it will be back and i'm planning to have at least one show a week to to, to get things rolling and then hopefully we'll you know from there we'll, we'll try to do a couple shows a week but uh we're definitely doing this again and 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 i missed it i gotta be totally honest i missed having the show missed doing the show um we'll see about co-hosts we'll see about guest co-hosts it's not just gonna always be me although Obviously, there are going to be times that it'll be me with a with a guest, me with a couple of guests. Uh, in terms of a regular co-host, I need to I need to figure that out. Uh, I'm probably going to see my man Garrett Cleverly in Phoenix in a couple of weeks, so maybe we'll talk about having him come on. Uh, I know there's a lot of close friends of mine that I, that I'd like to bring on as special co-host guest co-hosts. Uh, and obviously, there's there's players, there's coaches, there's GMs that that I'm planning to to bring on and have on the show. Uh, so if you have any suggestions, any people you'd like to see or hear on the show, definitely let me know. Uh, once again, thank you for listening, uh, and thank you for for coming back. And and I hope more and more of you come back because I'm telling you, I plan on having this show roll on and and no more breaks, no more hiatuses. And if I take a break, please call me out on it. I play, I don't plan on doing it. But if I happen to do it, call me out, get on Twitter, get on social media and rip me. Let me know. Let me know that that you know what? You're pissed off because I don't want the show to go away. I want to bring it back. I want to get it rolling and get it back to the heights that we enjoyed a couple of years ago. Because I because I know I know I missed the show and, and I know a lot of you have told me that you missed the show. And that's why we're going to bring it back. So definitely thanks for that. And as always, thank you for listening. Have a happy new year. Look forward to the next one. And I'll be checking in from Orlando and checking in from Chicago at the draft. So that's all for now. Thank you for listening. This is the SBI Show.